Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I'm your host, Sean Needham, along with my beautiful wife, Janet, and our producer, Lindsay. We are streaming live from our studio in Moses Lake, Washington today. And as always, you can catch us on um, my personal Facebook page and the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy YouTube site, streaming live every Monday, 1 to 2 p.m., and our midweek podcast usually is on Thursdays, 8 to 9 a.m. Uh, stay tuned for those, though, because those sometimes do move around, depending on our guest schedule. And you can always also find these on – it's a podcast, right? So you can find them on all the podcast forums like iTunes, SoundCloud, uh, iHeartRadio. Those are usually available a couple days after we um, stream live. So make sure you go to those forums. Make sure you go to the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy YouTube site and subscribe to it so you don't miss any episodes. Uh, we really, really appreciate it. And comment on our Facebook Live or our message on Facebook in general So with topics or with comments so we can always um, strive to make this podcast better. Today, we have another doctor on a line, and his name is Dr. Sean Hampton. He is in Pennsylvania at um, Hampton Medical Direct Primary Care, another direct primary care doctor. You know how we really support this format. Um, Janet and I talk about it a lot on this podcast, and it's a free market solution to healthcare. And speaking of free market solutions and solutions in general is I wrote a book about this. It's called Sickened. How the government ruined healthcare and how to fix it. It is on Amazon and Kindle version. Working on the audio version now. Working on the paperback version also. And um, one of the fixes. There's a six-step solution because we are all at Health Solutions. We're about solutions. It's in our name. There's a six-step solution on how to fix healthcare. We don't just complain about it. We have steps to fix it. There's a six-step solution, and one of the steps in that solution is direct primary care. Um, so I appreciate doctors like Dr. Hampton, Hampton stepping out and um, going into a direct primary care model so he can still be a doctor because we were just talking before the show. There's a lot of healthcare professionals, whether it be pharmacists or whether it be doctors that mm -hmm. are so tired of the system, they just get out of it. Um, yeah. Dr. Hampton has a friend that is a pharmacist and he is laying concrete. He got so upset with the system, he quit as a pharmacist, sold his pharmacy, and is laying concrete. So I'm going to let uh, Dr. Hampton kind of interview himself and tell a little bit about his story. Dr. Hampton, welcome to our show. Thank you. Thank you, Sean and Janet, for having me. I really appreciate this. Um, this is something that I'm very passionate about. You know, as you said, we're in a state of disarray with our medical system. And you know, I think we've already had this conversation, Sean, that, you know, the solution, I believe, is going to be a grassroots solution. It's going to come from pharmacists such as yourself and, you know, physicians, whether they be primary care physicians or specialists, they're going to say, hey, this system doesn't work. And the only way to improve this system is to, you know, build something better and new. And, you know, as of now, the only fixes have been from the top down. And, you know, we discussed that perfectly. I've read many articles about it. If you try to change a system or fix a system that's entirely in disarray, it's just going to create, you know, more havoc uh, and, you know, more issues down the road. So I really think what you're doing and what direct primary care is trying to do is, you know, build something from the ground up that I really believe is going to help. Um, so you said, you know, interview myself personally, 
Uh, I graduated uh, residency in 2013 and actually went to private practice with just me and one other doc. And we were on call 24-7. I did outpatient care. You know, I did inpatient care. I also worked in a nursing home and I even did a little emergency room work too. So, you know, I think I did the full gamut of what you would call primary care. And I'll be honest, I loved it in the beginning. I really did. Um, I loved, you know, seeing my patients in the office. I loved following them to the hospital. Um, and I enjoyed, you know, nursing home care. I actually got to work with veterans. So I worked at a veterans home in the state of Pennsylvania. So I really, I really enjoyed that. And I, I thought that was a privilege and an honor to be able to take care of the veterans. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, and especially at the end of a couple of years, I realized that, you know, even to keep the doors open, you had to see 20 people a day. And to be successful, you had to see 25 to 30 people a day. Now, for your viewers out there, 25 to 30 patients a day equates to about an eight-minute visit. Now, you could say, oh, isn't there, isn't there a 15-minute visit? Not really, because out of that 15 minutes, you'll get about eight with me. And they've done studies. Uh, and the studies say that a person gets about three and a half minutes to talk during an office visit. Um, now, I don't think that's enough time to help with the many medical issues that Americans face today. You know, and as we've discussed, I don't think it's enough time to deal with complex chronic medical conditions either. And that's where, you know, the majority of spending in America, that's why we spend more per capita than pretty much any other industrialized nation in the world. And yet we have significantly lower outcomes than those same countries. Um, and I think that really comes down to our inability to deal with complex chronic issues, you know, complex chronic medical issues. And, you know, I think to really move the needle and to improve care, you know, we first need more time with a patient because if the patient doesn't feel like that you're, you know, as a physician that you're in their corner, then you know, I think their ability to deal with those complex, you know, chronic medical conditions is much less. So, you know, that's one of the things I realized after about three to four years in primary care in traditional type family medicine setting. And I wasn't, I didn't even, I wasn't even employed by a large entity medical system telling me how to practice medicine. So, I mean, I think I had it better than most docs out there. I have a fellow physician, you should have her on. She worked for a large system out in Philadelphia and she would tell me things I was appalled by. Like if one of her patients called in during the day and they needed something, she wasn't allowed to see them. She had to send them to urgent care or the emergency department because the hospital system would make more money yep. from that particular issue. And that's what it comes down to is that if you run business if you run medicine like a business, you're going to have people making decisions that obviously increase revenue, but are going to harm patients and they're going to, you know, lead them through unnecessary testing, you know, unnecessary referrals and, you know, probably seeing more specialists than they need to. So, you know, back, whatever, I guess it was seven, eight years ago, 
that was really what started all this where I was like, this is not the way I wanted to practice medicine. I don't think this is right. Um, and I, you know, I kind of had a little burnout at that point. I really did. Um, so I actually parted ways with that practice and I went to urgent care for a little bit of time and realized, you know, I liked it. I mean, I, I did emergency medicine for a little bit. So, I mean, I enjoyed it, but I also felt like I wasn't helping anybody, you know, and I also felt like anybody could do that job. It's a hard job, urgent care. I don't mean to belittle anyone that does it, but pardon me, but you know, it was, um, it, it was something that I was not passionate about. And if you're not passionate about what you're doing, then first of all, your patients will notice that. And secondly, you know, I don't think you'll, you'll get really good results, so to speak. So I've always was interested in, actually, I was interested in concierge care, actually. I didn't know anything about direct primary care. Mm -hmm. So I started to do some more research and I realized that although I like concierge care, concierge care actually bills insurance companies and they bill the patient. So they kind of bill both, which I always thought was illegal, but apparently they can do it. Um, and, you know, I wasn't just interested in seeing people that could afford me. I wanted to see everybody. I wanted to see the blue collar workers. You know, I wanted to see, you know, people that couldn't afford insurance. And I wanted to see people that valued, you know, my time, you know, and valued my opinion and wanted a different approach to medicine. So, you know, I saw direct primary care and I was just blown away by it. The nice thing about direct primary care is that I had a lot of docs out there that immediately wanted to help me and they didn't want anything in return, you know, and I love that. Um, that was like, I was like, wow. And, you know, you've had a few of them on your show. Um, yep. They all wanted to help and they wanted nothing. And, you know, I, I do the same thing for people to reach out to me today. Like, hey, let me know how I can help you. And I think that was what really got me into it. And, you know, I just kind of made the leap and it was, and it was a leap where I said, we were going to move where we were from. We we're in central Pennsylvania, right near Penn State. So we're in a small town, well, small town slash city in Altoona, Pennsylvania. Um, and we were about ready to move out of town. Me and my fiance, we were going to move to Manhattan. She grew up in Long Island. Uh, and it, that fell through. So I was like, you know what, let's just do it. So I think we like had a little bit of money in the bank and we we're like, all right, we're going to lose it. We're going to lose it. So we opened the practice in January of uh, 2019 and to start out i subletted from a friend of mine who's a chiropractor i literally started the office in a 10 by 12 exam room one room and zero staff except well my fiance she was basically like a on the uh, on the couch staff member so to speak so she was at the house and i would like you know bounce stuff off her and she would take care of it and i would answer messages throughout the day and, you know, we had appropriate growth. I was working full-time in urgent care still. Didn't really tell them in the beginning what I was doing, but after a while they figured it out and they were pretty cool with it. Um, but yeah, we had appropriate interval growth every month, which was about 20 to 30 patients a month. And that's really all I could handle. Um, yeah. And since then we've had appropriate growth. And, you know, I think the the movement continues to thrive because just people are fed up. They're fed up with the care they're getting right now. You know, they say that the doctor interrupts after 12 seconds. That's the average time in which you get interrupted. And then total, you only get to speak for three and a half minutes. So, you know, I'm always back to that time frame. 
And in direct primary care, I spend an hour with each patient, brand new patient, they get a whole hour with me. And subsequent visits are 30 minutes long and those are as many as they need. And if something comes up and they need an hour for a follow-up visit, they get an hour. Uh, so people, I think people really love that is the amount of access and the amount of time they have with their physician. Oh, for sure. I mean, because that's definitely a complaint with a lot of patients and they don't think, unfortunately, and this is why we have a podcast and have um, yeah. physicians like yourself on, is that patients don't know any different. They just think that's the norm and it has to be the norm. And mm -hmm. our goal is to educate and empower people that they can be in charge of their own health. And that means, you know, shopping right. around for their own doctor and finding other options. Mm -hmm. um, and back down the cones here thing. Um, mm -hmm. I know there was a group, um, you know, a brand, a branded name of that. And um, it didn't really go over too well that I know of. And, and here's what my thought is. And a lot of your colleagues that are direct primary care doctors have probably told you this also. And if you're in any of the forums, <clears throat> Facebook groups or stuff that mm -hmm. about direct primary care is, and this is mainly for our listeners and viewers or, or also for our listeners and viewers. If a doctor, in my opinion, if a doctor says that they're doing concierge medicine and they're also billing insurance, I don't believe that you can do both and 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 give good service to um, either. It's either all or nothing, in my opinion. And a lot of doctors are scared to, you know, they want to still keep a couple insurances and all that. But in my opinion, yeah. it's all or nothing. And in, I know when Jan and I build some insurance until we went no insurance whatsoever, that's right. when we had to make it work. And that's when I think the patients got better care too. So I don't know if you have any comment on that, but um, it's a big leap of faith. But, you know, I think that's what what I like to educate um, patients, potential patients about is that, you know, if you can find a doctor that has built no insurance, it's probably the best. Absolutely. I, I think I'll quote one of my DPC colleagues. He said, trying to run a hybrid practice is like trying to run a vegetarian steakhouse. <laughs> you know, I, I saw that floating around somewhere. That's an awesome one. Yeah, that is. Josh Umber, yeah. It was Josh Umber, who basically, yeah. you know, thank goodness Josh Josh started this revolution pretty much, right? Absolutely. Yeah, he was I'm, one of the people that helped me out in the beginning. Yeah. 100%. So. The information he gives to people and stuff yeah. all for free is just unbelievable. And you know what it says? Mm -hmm. It just says that, you know, doctors do – in the right situation, doctors do have a passion for medicine. They really do. Absolutely. And the ones, yeah. And the ones that are disenfranchised are usually in a big, you know, a big group type setting and they are literally, their hands are literally tied and they're slaves to the system and they right. don't like it. And mm -hmm. those doctors get picked on for being burnt out or being grouchy or whatever. Mm -hmm. But in a lot of ways, I don't blame them because they're in a system that just totally controls them. So kudos Absolutely. to you. And thank you for sharing that story. Um, so I would like a little, so in the past when you were, you know, back when you first got a residency, when you were seeing a diabetic, for instance, and you could right. see him for eight minutes, um, show us, you know, tell us um, what, how it compares today, seeing a diabetic, you know, seven years ago, and then seeing a diabetic now in your DPC practice. Tell us how that compares. Well, I'd say the biggest comparison is that, you know, in my practice today, I actually sit down with them and number one, don't feel rushed and they don't feel rushed. So, you know, I, I always like to say there's three tenets to what I do. It's access, time, and value. So, you know, if if we have more time with the patients, then we provide, you know, more value with the outcome, so to speak. Um, and when I spend more time with a diabetic patient, I get to figure out what they're eating because turns out 
contrary to popular belief, diabetes can be cured. It really can. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. Now um, let's now now we're gonna have some haters out there. I'm just being honest. Sure. I've been in these forums before, so yeah. Let's define the difference between type one and type two diabetes. Please. Um, let's and we could talk right all now. day about it, but right. still, both of them both of them need diet controlled and you can please go into that, but let's yeah. go ahead and define, define that. Yeah. Because they'll tell me to go back to medical school. And yeah, I, that, I've, right. heard, I've been told that, well, you don't know what you're yeah. talking about. Cause you say that type one diabetics yeah. have to watch, watch yeah. their carbs. Oh, they do. Well, they do. But <laughs> yeah, <that's> anyway, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, no type two diabetes, you know, I'm going to plug, I'll plug someone else's book, but there's this nephrologist, Jason Fung. He wrote a lot of stuff about type two diabetes and type two diabetes is a lifestyle condition. So, you know, you're not born with it. Um, it can be cured. And it can be cured through, you know, diet, exercise, and absolutely medications. They're absolutely warranted in type 2 diabetics. But really what it comes down to is that if you work with somebody and you help to prevent them from using more and more medications, then you'll prevent the progression of the disease. And, you know, unfortunately, in type 2 diabetes, as the disease progresses, Patients get put on the worst medication that we could put on a type 2 diabetic. So we put them on insulin. And what is type 2 diabetes? Type 2 diabetes is actually res being resistant to insulin. So what do we say? Oh, we're going to put you on insulin, even though you're resistant to it. And the number one side effect of insulin is weight gain. So we're going to put you on that. That makes sense, right? <laughs> so, yeah, so that's what we do. And I still do that to this day. So, you know, nothing against endocrinologists, nothing against traditional primary care docs. I still do that. I still pull people on insulin. But I tell them, unless you want to stick yourself with a needle four times a day for the rest of your life, you have to listen to me. And you have to eat the opposite of the, you know, what we call the standard American diet, which is the acronym is SAD. It's very yep. sad. Um, and you know, we can change it. It doesn't mean you have to go keto and never eat a piece of bread for the rest of your life. It doesn't mean that, but it means that we need to work on a lifestyle change that can be reproduced over time because anybody can binge diet for eight weeks, but it's coming up with a way of eating that can be reproduced over time and a way of activity that can reproduce over time because you can't just sit on the couch all day either. You know, humans were meant to move, especially from an evolutionary perspective. We used to have to forage for food. We don't so much anymore, but you know, we used to have to forage for food and we had to move and we had to, you know, so it was really all lifestyle things. So I get to spend a lot of time talking to people about lifestyle changes. You know, I always make a joke that you don't need 11 years of schooling to tell someone not to drink soda and eat carbs all day, but it turns out you do. Um, cause some days I feel very basic when I talk to people cause I say, I'm going to tell you five things and your great grandmother told you all these things already. You just didn't listen. It was, you know, get good sleep, you know, try to move at least 30 minutes a day, eat a diet that is not the standard American diet. We can get into more detail with that. Don't abuse drugs or alcohol and try to have meaningful relationships with the people in your life or have a good social connection where you feel like you have a purpose. Um, and your purpose could be walking a dog. Your purpose could be taking care of your grandchildren or your purpose could be having a compounding pharmacy. So, you know, all those things together uh, all come together is good. And I really think if we start with those five things, we can build on it. And I always talk to people about a pyramid at the bottom of the pyramid are those five things. And at the next step of the pyramid are eating well, 
you know, maybe trying to improve exercise, maybe doing some other things to improve your health. So we kind of build on that. And to explain that in less than eight minutes is next to impossible in traditional primary care. So that's what I really love about DPC. Awesome. I love it. And in traditional practice, basically you would just prescribe another medication and tell them we'll get it filled at a pharmacy and that's the solution, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, I think that's easy. You know, I mean, that's a reflex. And I think, you know, a lot of primary care docs do that. And they're, they're like you said, they're stuck in that system of having to do that. And I used to do that. Um, but I think when you prescribe it and you talk to them about why it is and, you know, how we can maybe get off it in the future and there is a solution other than meds and you take that time to explain it to somebody, they leave the office and they think, well, he heard me. I'm going to start this medicine, but my ultimate goal is to, you know, maybe not use it forever. And I think people really start to, you know, kind of grasp that, you know, that there's two people in a symbiotic relationship that can really improve the overall health of a person. So, Janet, do you have any comments or questions for Dr. Hampton? That's a lot of information. Thank you, Dr. Hampton. Yeah, I know. That's great. I'm reflecting over our time of um, pharmacy and, and handing out uh, medications with outcomes that just kept repeating themselves over and over without the positive outcome. And right. what I'm hearing so loudly from you is that you're actually able to communicate with your patient why it's important to them. So they mm-hmm. actually understand and can buy into the therapy or the decision of what kind of care. And that improves their outcome because you didn't give them just a blurb, go do this. You explain to right. them why it's important for them to follow these steps and why that will make a change in their lives and why it's important. Because I think what we are selling people is that just go do what I tell you and just do it because, and unfortunately as humans, we don't, we don't operate that way. You know, we want to understand why it's important for me to choose this food over that food or what activity over that. Mm Because the doctor telling me to do something is over. I mean, that's my mother's generation and, and she isn't even, you know, she doesn't even buy that anymore. You know, we, we we have access to knowledge now called, you know, on the internet, we can Google Dr. Google. And, you know, when I have patients that call me and say, I've only been given answer one or two questions to my provider. I, I think it's, it's really sad. So, you know, kudos to you that you're able to actually, communicate because I think that is what is happening in your patients is that they're understanding and they're buying into their therapy. So let's talk a little bit about diet if you don't mind, because you, uh, you know, it's so important. And at health solutions, we talk, basically you're preaching to the choir because we talk about, uh, you know, there are basically three things that we can do. And the fourth thing we always talk about is relationships, but really it's diet, exercise, and rest. And those are the three things we can do to make our bodies healthy. That's really, it's that simple. And Mm -hmm. of course we always say too, that, you know, we'll die without sleep before we'll die without food. So um, sleep is the most important out of all three of them. And we don't, yeah. And we don't have to exercise to live. We can be healthier if we exercise, but we don't have to exercise to live. We've got to eat to live. So eating is second most important, exercise third. Um, but let's talk about Jason Fong, nephrologist. I'm not sure. Have you right. seen him speak at all? Yes. I watched a few things on YouTube and I've read the diabetes code. I haven't read the obesity yeah. code. But, you know, what I loved about the diabetes code, I mean, you know, it's a little medical base, but I think anyone can read it and understand it. 
But uh, I mean, I read his book and I rehearsed it to patients. And because it makes sense, I love physiology. That's why I went to medicine. And it makes sense from a physiological perspective. And that's what I love about it. You know, when you can back up physiology and talk to patients, I, you know, I, I get them to understand what it is. And help me out, but I believe he talks a little bit or a lot about intermittent fasting, correct? He does. So that is actually something I personally do. And um, actually, I got my fiance to start doing it, and she does it more than I do now. She drives me a little crazy with it sometimes. But uh, um, educator, (laughs) we've had Dr. Sean Amara. I don't know if you've you've you're familiar with him. He Uh, was on our podcast once, and he talked about intermittent fasting. Everybody's got a little bit different idea of what intermittent fasting is, but tell us what intermittent fasting is, and and what he talks about on the obesity code, and basically to give a little bit of, you know, just. a little bit of general idea of what his book talks about is, you know, the, the standard American diet, like you said, the sad diet, it's not, what we're doing is not working. So we've got to do something different and intermittent fasting. We could think about it being like totally novel, but if you think about how, you know, ancestrally wise, we ate food, we intermittently fast all the time because there would be times we didn't have food. So go ahead and explain, explain the concept of intermittent fasting and, and what hours, how many hours and all that kind of stuff? Kind of go into some detail. Sure. So medical disclaimer, if you're, you know, if you're on insulin or you're on diabetic meds, you know, speak to your physician before starting intermittent fasting because, yeah, you know, it can have catastrophic effects. Yep. Um, but, you know, intermittent fasting in of itself mimics how we used to live from an evolutionary perspective. You know, we would basically have uh, times of feast and times of famine. And it all came down to having to forage for food. So from an evolutionary perspective, our bodies are meant to go through prolonged periods without having to eat or to consume food. Um, So the physiological basis behind intermittent fasting says that we store things in our body and we use them when we need them. But if you're constantly eating, you're never going to chew up or, you know, use up your storage molecules in your body. Now we can say a bunch of fancy words and say it's this and it's that, but really it comes down to if we go through periods in which our body will use up those reserves, then we'll do very well, you know, in the long term, so to speak. And, you know, for all the people out there that are, you know, listening and saying, you know, I've heard my doctor say fatty liver. And that's huge is that, you know, a lot of people have fatty liver in the United States. And I've been in, I've, you know, I'm a kid when it comes to medicine. I mean, I'm 39, but I'm a kid. And, you know, the amount of fatty liver I've seen just in my 10 years in medicine has just, it's, it's huge now. Everybody I see has elevated liver function tests. I mean, I could literally tell you the algorithm for working it up off the top of my head. And it's a long algorithm. But that's why, you know, and the reason we all have fatty liver is, you know, you eat too much sugar or carbs, that stuff's got to store somewhere and it stores in our liver. And that's where, you know, Jason Fung talks about intermittent fasting. And where I preach it to my patients is, is that if we spend periods of time not eating, our bodies are going to eat up those reserves. And there's different ways to intermittent fast, but the most popular way is a pattern called, basically, it's called 18-6 fasting. So you can either look at it as 18 hours of not eating or only six hours of the day in which you do eat. I always try to be positive and say, hey, you got six hours to eat, you know, because people can buy that a little bit more. And 
what it is, I'll say, listen, you started at night. So you say, I'm going to quit eating at 6 p.m. Now, these are for people that work first shift. You know, if you work second or third shift, then we have to have a different talk. But, uh, you know, you can stop eating around 6 p.m. at night. And, you know, if you're hungry before bed, drink water or drink herbal tea. Okay. Go to bed, wake up the next morning. Hopefully you're a coffee drinker. Cause if you are, it'll make this a lot easier. If you're not, <laughs> then maybe get, maybe start. Um, and you can't eat until noon. Now, the benefits of intermittent fasting really start to show around hour 16. So that 10 o'clock to 11 o'clock, that 11 o'clock to 12 o'clock when people are kind of struggling, once again, drink water, drink black coffee, drink herbal tea, do something else, but really push through it. And the, the goals of intermittent fasting are many, but really what it comes down to is it regulates hormones in our body. And that's what Dr. Jason Fung talks about in his book a lot is that, you know, every single process that occurs in our body occurs through hormones and weight gain or weight loss also occurs through hormonal changes. And that's how intermittent fasting really works in the body. Wow. That's, that's great. I, I love that. That was a, a great uh, two minute conversation about intermittent fast fasting for sure. Janet, you yeah. have any questions about that? Well, I, I see so many different things out there right now when you look mm -hmm. on the internet and, and, um, you know, they're talking about body types and, um, you know, you should eat more fat or, or this or that per your body type. Right. Right. And I don't know how much that really plays into it other than just maybe getting a good plan. I mean, what, what is your feeling on that? Because I, I keep seeing, you know, like if you're this body right. part or type or if right. you're this body, you know. Yeah, great question. My approach when I talk to patients is keep it simple uh, and to have a pragmatic approach and keep it very simple because what we need to develop is a way of eating that can be reproduced over time. You know, like I said before, anybody can, you know, basically do anything for about eight weeks at a time. And believe me, if you spend eight weeks only eating apples, you'll lose weight. I mean, any, you know, any sort of binge diet or any sort of crazy way of eating, you'll lose weight. But really, you know, I talk to people about what, you know, what's your life like? How can we integrate a little bit of healthy food into that? And the way I love intermittent fasting is that I think people can wrap their heads around that. Because if I tell you what to eat, and you got to start cooking, you got to go to the store and you got to do all these things. Not only is that time consuming, that is expensive. It is expensive to eat that well. And, you know, people just, they don't have time. They have kids and they work, you know, both parents work and, you know, this, that, or the other thing. And I say, you know what? All you have to do is not eat. Sounds awful, but it's really easy, you know, to do. Well, it's simple. It doesn't make it easy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's well, simple instructions, but they might not be easy. Yeah. And our bodies are just, you know, evolutionary wise speaking, we're meant to store fuel yeah. stores yeah. and our body's good at that, whether it be in the form of fat or glycogen and, right. you know, we store it for a time we need it. Unfortunately, we all pretty much as Americans have an unlimited food supply. I mean, I yep. say that tongue in cheek, but that's really almost the truth. We have an unlimited food, food supply. So we never actually get to be catabolic and burn off that excess fat or that Correct. glycogen. And Correct. I mean, we could debate all day long about, you know, keto and you don't need glycogen, you don't need glucose. But um, I'm going to guess it was interesting what you said about the fatty liver, because 
most of our glycogen is stored in the liver. So Correct. I wonder how much that has to do with us getting a fatty liver is that most of our glycogen stores are in the liver because yes. you're talking yes. about eating carbs. Now, I wouldn't right. think that directly makes the liver enzymes elevated and it doesn't cause a fatty liver, but I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that? No, that's the precursor. I mean, a okay. high carbohydrate. Yeah. yeah, it's the precursor. I mean, listen, you know, I could speak in detail, but I mean, there's many other ways to get a fatty liver, but you know, 80%, if you're not a heavy drinker and you don't have some hereditary disease, 80% of all people with elevated LFTs have fatty liver. You know what I mean? Doesn't mean I don't work them up for other things, but it's, it's yeah. always diet. I mean, it's yeah. 80% of the time is diet. So you have great, some, you, you have a success story of how you've gotten, uh, you know, diabetics off of insulin. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I actually, yeah. So I had a really cool one. So I had one patient that came to see me. He was actually, you would, you would like this as a pharmacist. He was on U500. So he was on so much insulin. Whoa. He had to go. We, U <laughs> yeah. We don't use U500. So for your oh. viewers out there, U500 is concentrated insulin. So it's basically, you know, five times the regular insulin it's that concentrated so he was on he was on u500 and he was on long-acting insulin too so he was on four shots a day and he was on around 135 units a day so that was a lot and he was also on oral diabetic meds and i think when i first saw him his a1c was 13.6 so well, it, it wasn't working this was not no, working right no, it was not working at all wow yeah. Uh, and he was overweight and he had other medical issues, but so we, you know, we spent a lot of time together. Um, and I think the success, you know, came from that collaboration between both of us. You know, I always say, this is all you, you know, I can show you what to do, but this is all you. And his wife was very supportive and, you know, she was in very good health. So she helped with, you know, his meal planning, et cetera, et cetera. And we basically walked him down because you can't take somebody it's on that much insulin and just tell them, Hey, don't ever eat another carb and quit eating, you know, quit taking, you know, start intermittent fasting and quit taking your insulin. And it's tough. So in the end, we have him basically down to about 35 units of insulin a day. Um, and we're slowly walking that down even more. Uh, he's lost a substantial amount of weight. Um, and he did really well. Now, unfortunately, um, not every success story in medicine has a, you know, a perfect fairy tale ending. Um, he recently kind of had a quote, you know, relapse, um, and he kind of fell off the wagon. And as a result, he actually called me, uh, one day and he said, you know, my blood sugars are back up. I don't feel well, you know, I'm having to take more of my insulin. We did get him off U500. We just have more regular insulin now. And he's like, plus, you know, I think I have a hernia. And he called me, I think it was on a Monday. And I said, well, what makes you think you have a hernia? We actually spoke on the phone because in DPC, you know, you have kind of complete access. That's one of my tenants of what I tell my patients, access, time, and value. You kind of have complete access to your physician. So he actually texted me and he said, hey, can you call me? So it was towards the end of my day. I just called him. And he said, I think I have a hernia. And, you know, I fell off the wagon too. My blood sugars are awful. I said, oh, what makes you think you have a hernia? He said, well, I was going to the bathroom, it's having a bowel movement. I felt a pop in my belly and it hurts. And I said, that's yeah, pretty classic hernia. It sounds like a hernia to me for sure. You know, are you vomiting? Do you have a fever? Do you feel well? Otherwise like, yeah, 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 I feel fine. I just have a little bit of pain, especially when I move around. I was like, yeah, that definitely sounds like a hernia. Now I can't see you tonight, but you know, tomorrow night I'm booked, but I'll just come at the end of the day. You know, I'm, I'm done at 6.30, just swing by, I'll take a quick look at it. He's like, perfect. 
So he comes in, he walks in at 6.30, he's like kind of limping. When I first looked at him, I thought, this guy doesn't have a hernia. Uh, so I brought him back to the office and I examined him and I said, oh my God, you have a huge abscess. It's not a hernia at all, you have a huge abdominal abscess. Now, for your viewers out there, if you have blood sugars that aren't really well controlled, you have increased risk of any infection, whether it's an infection that you get as a cold or it's an infection that you get when you like hit your skin, you know? Right. So you have an increased risk of infection when you're a, a diabetic and it's much worse if you're a poorly controlled diabetic. So like I said, he kind of fell off the wagon. Um, so I saw him and I said, you know, I don't think we can manage this as an outpatient. I think the best way, and luck, luckily he had insurance. He had, you know, he did have health insurance. I said, I think the most effective way to manage this is for you to go to the ER and get a CAT scan and get some blood work and just see where we're at. He said, okay, okay, I'll do that. So he went to the ER and actually called up the ER ahead of time and I told them everything and they were, you know, very happy and appreciative because, you know, most family docs only have time to do that because they're stuck in this system that you know, doesn't allow that. So he got there and they admitted him. Now, the, the interesting part of this whole story, and I'll take no credit for this, is that the next day he had a heart attack. Um, had nothing to do with what happened or what I took him to the hospital for. Actually, it was two, he had a heart attack two days later while he was in the hospital. Since he was in the hospital when he had that heart attack, he was, you know, coded and immediately transferred to the internal care, you know, IC intensive care unit and intubated and put on pressors. So he was intubated in the ICU, put on pressors. And the only reason, you know, he came in, it was interesting. He came to see me when he got out of the hospital and I read everything. I said, oh my God, what happened? He said, you saved my life. And I said, well, I don't think I saved your life. I, there was some divine intervention there. But, you know, we kind of had this, you know, when we talked before is that, you know, I don't know if I saved his life, but I feel like direct primary care might have saved his life. Because I think in the traditional model, I, I don't know. I think I would have, if he would have called me and I would have talked to him, which I, you know, in my old model, I talked to patients on the phone too. It wasn't unheard of because I was in private practice. I think I would have like put him on my schedule but it would have been like, you know, five days later. It would have right. been a week later. I'd have been like, ah, you know, it sounds like a hernia. Just like if you develop a fever, or you start vomiting, call me earlier, but I'll see you on Friday, you know, or I'll see you, you know, in a week, you know, let me know if any of this happens. But in DPC, I was like, yeah, just come at the end of the day. I'll see that. So I think, you know, DPC might have saved his life in that particular instance. Yeah, yeah it sounds like Access probably did for sure. Yeah, he, Access, yeah, one of the tenants, yeah. Yeah, if he wasn't, you know, if he was that serious and intubated and all that, I mean, if he was at home, he would have died probably, yeah, right? Without right. a doubt. Without yeah. a doubt. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about how – so people can understand how serious diabetes is. Right. Um, you know, diabetes puts you at risk for cardiovascular disease, correct? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and unfortunately, the presenting symptom for most men that have a heart attack is death, you know? They have a heart attack and they die. And you know, how that, that can, happens you, can you, a lot. Yeah. Can you tell us how old this patient um, is? Yeah. Um, he late fifties. Yeah. Okay. And when did he start developing problems of diabetes? Oh, in her, in his late thirties to early forties. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. 
Well, thank you for sharing that story and thank you for helping a patient being, you know, being there for him to, so he could access care. And we, we hear a lot of stories like that from direct primary care doctors. And you just, like you say, um, a lot of those patients just might die if they, if they didn't have access. So, um, Janet, do you have some questions for Dr. Hampton? Yeah. So, um, I am interested in maybe another success story of getting somebody off of their medication. Um, you know, any of the clients that, you know, working together, what outcomes brought them to a point where they could get rid of something. Right. Absolutely. Their- so, well, it's interesting. I, um, I came across someone in my community uh, and she was actually an owner in a gym. She moved back to the area. She was in the, the service for a while. She was a Marine and her husband was a Marine and they ended up purchasing a gym because their passion was exercise. They're both heavy, uh, like Olympic lifters, so to speak. And we talked about ways to kind of like join forces because I really think, it, you know, uh, you know, it, it takes a village, you know, quote. Um, and, you know, I think a comprehensive approach uh, is really the best type of medicine. Um, and, you know, sometimes you have to prescribe a barbell. You have to prescribe exercise. Right. right you know right. what I mean? Like, yep, I absolutely. I love it. Uh, and we talk about that, too. Like, you know, you need you need to move. Um, I really think that the majority of good health comes through diet. You know, I tell people, I say, oh, I don't have time to exercise. I say, all right, I can get you to lose weight with diet alone. You don't ever, Absolutely. you don't have to go to a gym at all. But this person was younger and they were overweight um, and they were probably close to being on insulin, you know, and it's happening younger and younger and younger. And they said, you know, I don't know what to do. And I basically, we, not me, uh, we created a situation where, uh, you know, we helped her to feel comfortable in a gym setting and we set her up with a personal trainer and then got her involved with the gym membership. And we kind of had a comprehensive approach where we not only use, you know, office visits, we use, you know, a good dietary plan and she's a nutritionist too, the woman I was working with and we use exercise. And this person was actually able to lose around 85 pounds and they got off two hypertension meds and they got off their oral diabetic meds as well. Um, still on metformin, but to get off everything except for metformin is, is awesome. In my opinion. It, it is. Yeah. yeah. That, that, that's an incredible success story. And a lot of people don't realize that because unfortunately their doctors don't take the time to, to do what you did. And I mean, yeah. a doctor partnering with a gym is, should be common, but it's not. Because like you say, yeah. you know, doctors write prescriptions. It doesn't have to be a medication. Write a prescription for right. a barbell or for, for, barbell. for jogging yeah. or whatever. Yeah, she, she, I can't steal that quote. She came up with it. But yeah, I mean, that's what it comes <laughs> down to. Um, we, we tried to write a plan and, you know, I'll be honest, you know, it had varied success where we basically said, hey, you can have complete access to a doctor 24-7. You can have a gym membership. And you can have advice on, you know, nutrition and all these things. And it's going to be this amount per month. You know, when you add all those things together, things get a little pricey. Um, but, you know, we did come up with a plan. And I, I would like to say that it, you know, worked out perfectly. Uh, but, you know, I think the biggest hurdle is money. And, and you know, sometimes people can't invest that much money to a comprehensive plan. But it did help a few people out there. We were happy to provide it to the community. Well, and I think one thing when you talk about value of your practice, I know direct primary care, um, I don't know what your fees are. You can get into that a little bit later, but it's, sure. it's really, really very affordable. And, yeah. you know, it's about 
same price as a gym membership usually. Now, yeah. when you throw a personal trainer in there, it gets a little bit more expensive. But when you look at just the cost of medications alone that she got off these right. medications, even if the insurance was covering them, she was right. probably paying you know, anywhere from 5 to 10 to $20 copay or plus a month. Right. Um, and then when you look at the opportunity cost, it's that's priceless. Um, Absolutely. That part is priceless. So even if the fee is $300 a month, right. it's like if you don't do something now, you will end up right. spending a lot more than $300 a month. Well, yeah, it's like that quote, you can either pay the farmer now or the cardiologist later. You know, I, mean, you know, I love that. We got. Yeah. I'm going to steal that one. Is that okay? Uh, I, I stole it. <laughs> you can steal it. I, 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 I don't come up with anything. It's totally true. But I think, you know, in, in our culture, we want an instant gratification, instant fix. Oh, and, and I'm yeah. thankful that we do have pharmaceuticals that work well. However, when we're talking about chronic, um, issues a lot of times the lifestyle changes are really the drug of choice because that side effect is is not going to be you know that 10 pounds that you got from taking the insulin that's just because you're on the insulin or the side effect of the drug that causes you to have you know xyz because you're on that so we're not chasing another drug with another drug we're right. chasing a a goal that's going to give a lifetime effect because I think I've heard different statistics, but even just 10 pounds, what it changes in somebody's cholesterol values or lipid values right. is amazing. And so, right. you know, those are changes that are, are without side effects, you right. know, that, that Absolutely. I know it's not instant. And I understand that, you know, our culture, you know, craves that, but sometimes when we put the hard work into it too, um, the outcome is very rewarding because, you know, they took ownership in mm -hmm. their body and their outcome and how they feel and how they, you know, that, that's, I guess the reward of doing what Sean and I have done over the past years is that when we hear patients come in and they're super excited because they made a difference in their life and it right. is adding years of quality, not quantity perhaps maybe, but quality as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I know you guys do like hormonal balancing. I'm a big fan of that. But, you know, I'm a big fan of adding that. Like I said, the pyramid is the next step up because, you know, like yeah. I tell people, like they'll say, hey, should I take a, like a good, should I take a multivitamin? Well, yeah, but you can't eat McDonald's every day. You know what I mean? You <laughs> right, gotta, like, right. You know, right. Like, <laughs> it cancels out, man. Like you got to eat well. You got to like sleep. You got to like, you know, do a little exercise. And then we can talk about multivitamins. And, you know, I'll tell people that, say, listen, other people are selling you something. They're selling you instant gratification. They're selling you a quick fix. You know, they're trying to sell you something. It, there is no shortcut. The first step is the first step. And, you know, the second step might be hormonal balancing. And that's great. You know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of that. And I really think, you know, I, I think it's going to take a while for evidence-based medicine to catch up to that. But I really think it will after time where people do get better with some of these changes through medications or hormonal balancing. I really do think that's going to be a big step of medicine moving forward. 
Yeah, of course we do too. Of course, speaking of selling yeah. something, that's Not what we sell. Them. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm be honest, but you know, we've helped thousands and thousands of patients, right. and we have a passion right. for it. But we, you know, we'll be honest with our patients up front. It's like, look, this is a piece of the puzzle. Okay, right. absolutely. Um, this does not give you, um, you know, a, a right, or it does not give you. Um, pass go free. Uh, yeah, a, a, a free pass to eat all you want and not exercise. I mean, right. you know, this is going to help, but it's a piece of the puzzle. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I mean, I think hormones are, are an important piece of the puzzle, but as you said earlier in your show, hormones are so, we use that definition pretty broadly, but hormones mm-hmm. are so broad because so hormones do so many things. It's, you know, um, and there's so many different hormones too. So that's why we mm-hmm. focus on it because it's exciting and there's a lot of value that we can add to our patient's health. So, Mm-hmm. So we're kind of wrapping up our show here, Dr. Hampton. I, I appreciate you so much. Let me tell you, you are a perfect guest for our podcast because you have, you. you know, um, what you do and what you do with your patients is exactly what we do here. And we just like to educate and empower patients that they're in charge of their own health. So that mm-hmm. not only means their own health decisions, but also their financial decisions when it comes to healthcare. So choosing a doctor like yourself, um, you know, or, um, you know, shopping around for somebody that can do services like you. So talk about DPC and talk about your fees. What, what, what are your fees? How, how, um, you know, you talk about value, how affordable are you? Absolutely. So, you know, when I opened, I realized the location where I was and I figured out my fees based on that. So I think when we opened, we had like some of the lowest direct primary care rates in the state of Pennsylvania. Um, our average per patient per month is around $55 per patient per month. Now we do have age-based pricing, so it's a little cheaper for the younger people, a little more expensive for the older people. Uh, and it's 18 to 45 and then 46 to 65. Um, so it's about 55 bucks a month. But you know what that buys you is direct access to a personal physician. Like I say, it's cheaper than a Starbucks edition or less than a cup of a coffee per day, so to speak. Um, it gets you 90% off uh, insurance, you know, 90% off um, labs and even compared to insurance. Because if you have insurance, your labs are more expensive than at my practice, believe it or Absolutely. not. People, are, people yeah. are amazed by that. They're like, what do you mean? It's, it's cheaper. It's much, much cheaper. And then we do dispense meds. We're not pharmacists, but we can be a dispensary in the state of Pennsylvania. So we dispense generic, non-controlled medicines, you know, no narcotics, nothing like that. Um, and we dispense those at cost. And then another thing that I do is I offer supplements in my office mm-hmm. through a company called Biotics. Oh, yeah. Bio- yep. you know, not, yeah, they're great. Not all yep. supplements are created equal. Nope. And I tell people, if you go to Walmart and you're buying your supplements, eh, it might not be as good. So, you know, we do offer supplements at cost. And one of the things I really push on people is, your vitamin D levels need to be good and we need to check those labs. So, you know, that's just one example. And, you know, I think with that comprehensive approach, patients really love it. And I think what we really love is it's like an old school family doc with a technological twist. You know, they can see me anytime they want in person, but if they want to text me, they can. If they want to email me, they can. If they can't come in because they want to have a telemed visit, they can do that. So uh, that's what they really love is that comprehensive approach where they get a little bit of everything under one roof. And it's so affordable. It's just, it's almost to some people unbelievable. I'm sure you get that. We've had many doctors on and and people just can't believe. It's like, are you really a doctor? I mean, how can you be a doctor? (laughs) You know, $55 a month. But Right, I've heard that. 
Yeah, and when yeah. you think about the value services that you just added, uh, that you just went over there, um, it's really, and of course, you know, we, we talk about this all the time. Why would you ever want traditional health insurance? I mean, my wife right. and I don't have that. We have a health sharing ministry and health insurance is, it's a ripoff. It's literally a scam. It's a ripoff. I had Dr. Lee Gross on last week and, um, you know, he talked about how in Florida you can get an MRI now for $220. 200 yeah it's yes. not that low in altoona but yeah well, i know the and first one too, but yeah. i was telling the story it's like yeah you know when i first started doing this a few years ago it was like you know an mri a good mri was like 800 bucks now it's at the right. 220 which just remind right. and, and but as you know for your insured patients if you haven't negotiated a cash price and they're using their insurance um patients are paying 800 dollars for an mri their copay right and they're they're literally getting ripped off. And I still believe, yeah, I still tout it. Yeah, health insurance is, traditional health insurance is a ripoff. Speaking of that, there is a fix in that in my book. You do not have to be tied to traditional health insurance. Go to Amazon, right. download my book, Sickened, How the Government Ruined Healthcare and How to Fix mm -hmm. It. And there are other options to health insurance. And even if you have an employer that offers you health insurance, there might be a way out of that. But it's right. up to you, the individual, to negotiate that. So um, I appreciate you being on today, Dr. Hampton. I know you're busy, so we won't take much of your time. Okay. What would you like to um, sum up in the last minute of, of our podcast? And how do people get a hold of you if they want to get a hold of you? Sure. So I'm really easy to get a hold of. That's the, you know, the technological benefit that we live in today. So my website is hamptonmedicaldpc.com. We have an inquiry sheet there. You can get a hold of us. And then I offer a free 30-minute in-person consultation. You can come down, see our office. We have an office dog that also gets to hang out with us. Um, and, you know, you can just see how it works. And I really think if anybody needs to get better, we just need to really, you know, practice the things that produce, you know, results over long periods of time. And I think you need a really good doc in your corner that can help you, you know, kind of fight through all those things and to figure out what's important, what isn't important and have a good, you know, step-by-step -step pragmatic approach to just a better overall degree of health. Absolutely. I love it. So we got your website streaming up there. Thank you. Um, yeah, we really appreciate, we really appreciate you being on and yep. um, you've been listening to another, another episode of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Stay tuned for Thursday, 8 to 9 a.m. Uh, we at Pacific Standard Time, we will have a doctor on who's a urologist and he is going to be to talk about some of the procedures urologists do. He's a specialist that is going um, to be a cash only specialist soon, uh, which is a great thing that a lot of doctors are doing now to help with the DPCs because you guys really want to refer to specialists mm -hmm. that, that work with cash and give um, you know good cash pricing. He's gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about vasectomies because we talk a lot about hormone replacement here. And one of the common questions we get is, oh, we've got a, a gal that's married, she's in her 40s, she's having hormone related issues, she's on birth control, and um, she, she wants to go on hormones because her hormones are out of balance. Well the reality of it is, is that before they can really ever do any hormone balancing, they need to get off their birth control pills. Absolutely. So, because that messes up their hormones. So a great option with that is if they're married or in a monogamous relationship is a vasectomy. It's mm -hmm. not as bad as most guys think. So <laughs> I really, I, I want to, I, I really want to have this guy on because he's going to answer a lot of our questions that we get yeah, that's awesome. almost every week. So, 
So we yep. appreciate you being on, Dr. Hampton. Stay tuned uh, Thursday, 8 to 9 a.m. And you've been listening to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Mm-hmm.